Welcome to the race's new IndyCar podcast. My name is J.R. Hildebrand, and I'll be co-hosting this podcast ahead of what we're expecting to be an epic season of storylines in IndyCar this season. Joining me to break everything down, analyze, and debate the internals of the IndyCar season will be the race's American editor, Jack Benyon. Oh, thanks, J.R. That wasn't bad for a driver. <laughs> Almost like I've done it before. Uh, I've got to say it's mega to have you on board for the race's new IndyCar podcast. I'm sure I'll take the mick out of you a lot this year, but... The fact that I dug out my J.R. Hildebrand Panther Racing t-shirt to record this podcast probably tells everyone all they need to know. Before we get going here, let's do a bit of an intro to the race. For those of you who are unfamiliar, you can visit our website, the-race.com. We launched in February last year with the aim of producing quality content, whether that's long-form features, analysis, insight via our website through our podcasts, which received... 2 million listens in 2020 and also through our youtube channel where we've got over half a million subscribers i think now so that's pretty cool and we cover formula one MotoGP, gp formula e esports and of course indycar so we look forward to bringing you contemporary and retro content through 2021 and beyond so that's the uh, elevator pitch for the website out of the way so uh, let's crack on with some indycar as with any indycar season you have to start with a big three so Let's run down the big three teams and I'll do that quickly, JR, and then we can discuss each one in, in detail, I guess. So Andretti slimming down a bit this season. So only four regular drivers, got Alexander Rossi, Colton Herter, Ryan Hunter, Ray, and of course, James Hinchcliffe, who was on a part-time deal last year and joins full-time. So no Zach Veach and no Marco Andretti, no massive changes behind the scenes, but it feels like this is the smallest kind of Andretti lineup that we've seen in, in quite a while, at least it feels like. So that's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, process data and things like that, because it always seems to have been a massive advantage to to Andretti to have those cars there and, and have that extra data point. So that's going to be a really interesting storyline for them. And then Penske and Ganassi have gone the other way. So if we start with Ganassi, obviously Scott Dixon is back for his millionth year of IndyCar, probably going to win the championship again, but we'll wait and see how that one plays out. And he's joined by Marcus Ericsson again, as, as he was last year, looking for a bit of a breakthrough season for his third year in IndyCar. Then we've got Alex Palou, really impressive rookie last year. One in Super Formula, which only good drivers can do that. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see how his second season goes with a bigger team. Obviously moving from Dale Coyne, a bit of a smaller outfit. So it's going to be interesting to see how he blends into that bigger team. And then Jimmy Johnson, obviously massive storyline that he's joining from NASCAR. He could have put his feet up on the couch, had a bit of a chill out and you know ended his NASCAR career with uh, seven titles under his belt. But he's decided to come and pick basically the most competitive single-seated championship in the world when doing so that's going to be interesting and then Penske have done the same in adding Scott McLaughlin who's come from Australian supercars three-time champion there he's really highly rated by all of his teammates even though his St. Petersburg debut didn't go particularly well I mean difficult set of circumstances to make your debut let's be honest but you know he didn't win the race or anything we're not expecting uh, you know race wins and championships straight out of the box but his his teammates have have all said that he's going to win a race this year pretty much so that's going to be really interesting to see as well so JR let's have a, a little rundown between those three pick out any storyline you like from there who do you like out of the big three who's going to win the championship and and why yeah, I mean, I think, you know, bouncing around a little bit, you know, it's hard to bet against Scott Dixon, like you said, um, you know, they've, they've really cemented, I think, a, a great engineering sort of organ, you know, reorganize their engineering structure last year with Chris Simmons going to technical director and Michael Cannon coming on, um, you know, long time, you know, having years and years and years of, you know, 
sort of, I mean, Mike's kind of been with the underdog a lot of times and, you know, he's been the guy that's been responsible for drivers kind of coming out of nowhere and winning races. Um, so now at one of the bigger outfits with Scott Dixon, um, you know, I expect those guys to just be even more, it's hard to think of them being more dialed than they were last year. You know, they came out of the box and won like four out of the first five races or whatever. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's never a good idea to bet against, uh, you know, that crew. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see, obviously, you know, I think we'll talk about Jimmy a little bit later in the, later in the pod. Um, Alex Palou to me is, is really one of the interesting storylines, you know, among those, among those top teams is just, he was hyper competitive at a handful of events last year. Um, and like you said, with Dale coin, it'll be really interesting to me to see, where he really shakes out, what his relationship ends up being like within the team, um, and and learn a little bit more about him. You know, we we kind of saw these glimpses of excellence at times last year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that how that really starts to shake out. I think the the thing I've I've picked up from from the team, you know, from preseason is that Alex has got a totally different driving style to both Marcus and Scott, who are quite similar. So that's going to be a really interesting aspect. Either you know, he might get a little bit left behind in terms of the development direction of the team kind of goes towards how Scott and Marcus want the car and, and Alex is a little bit kind of left behind. Or it might work the other way and Alex brings, you know, a really nice fresh approach to the team and gives them a little bit of something they were missing before. So uh, I don't know if you if you kind of got any insight on, on what that might be like when a driver with a different driving style comes into the team, but it, it definitely feels like it could go one way or the other for Alex this season. Well, that's a good point. And I, you know, I think yeah, I mentioned earlier just the kind of restructuring of, of the organization last year in terms of where the engineers were and and kind of how that oversight looks um it'll be interesting you know to your point just to see how that all kind of stacks together um i think they're they're equipped certainly to take the best of what different drivers do Uh, but at the end of the day just between drivers you know it's it's sometimes you sometimes when you have different guys that have different styles, you get stuck in kind of a weird middle ground from an engineering perspective that you have to end up committing a little bit more one way or the other. And then, you know, if you have two different drivers that are doing different things and their individual engineers are working in those separate directions, then you're not getting as much of the benefit, um, you know, of the different teammates. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out, like you said. And, um, you know, but I, I guess at the end of the day, Scott's, Scott's the guy to beat, you know, year in and year out. Moving over to Penske, a little bit of a similar situation there. Joseph seems to, especially with Gavin Ward, you know, in that combo coming back, um, you know, they seem to kind of have cemented themselves as being the most consistently good, um, you know, pairing at Penske. Will is as fast as ever. Simon obviously has had some some great results, but been, you know, in the big scheme of things, like a little bit more inconsistent in terms of, you know, how frequently he can stick it on the box. So to me, it's a little bit of a toss up between the rest of those guys. Every, I think I, I would reserve, reserve judgment on, on Scott right away. Scott McLaughlin. Um, he's to your point earlier. I mean, even guys that aren't on Penske, you know, I was talking to Hinch last year after that Coda test and, you know, where Scott was like, suddenly right there with everybody else. I think he ended up, he ended the test like top two or top three. Um, and Hinch was like, 
that was totally legit. Like there was nothing. I think, you know, watch, watching timing and scoring sometimes you're all, you're wondering like, oh, I don't know whether there are weird track conditions or, you know, something that happened that kind of made for a, a time of day situation or something like that. He was like, nope, he just went straight to the top. And that was it like shocked the hell out of everybody. So um, he's definitely got the speed. And I would agree. Like I, I expect him to be somebody who's contending for race wins this year. Um you know, you've got a lot of fast drivers and fast combinations at Penske over the last couple of seasons. It's just seemed like new gardens kind of the only one that's, that's really been able to string it together, um, you know, consistently when it counts. So it'll be interesting just to see, you know, how that all sort of shakes out between them. I know that those guys all work together really well though. So, um, a good situation for Scott to be in and, um, you know, I, I, that, that to me, just how, how the four of them, um, you know, progress through the year together and how they compete against each other and how they can elevate each other to me is one of the more interesting storylines. It's been a few years since Penske as like a full organization was like that crazy powerhouse that everybody's trying to beat weekend to weekend. Well, it's, it's a good point. I think it's worth mentioning like last year was the first year since 2013 that they didn't win the Indy 500 or the championship. Right. So you look back at last year and you think power had five poles Pagano still winning races uh, as obviously power was and obviously Newgarden was pretty much as perfect as you can possibly be in losing a championship. Right. And they won nothing effectively. <laughs> if you look back on, if, if we're judging this on paper in comparison to their standard. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, you're right. And you, you also, you, you do hold Penske to just a higher standard than, than everybody else. And it's, it's so strange looking back on last year that you think, you think back different races that stand out in your mind and you think, yeah, Penske won there, Penske won there, you know, Joseph, Simon, Will. And then you come to the end of the year, it's probably their worst year on paper since since 2013. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they turn that around. I think the Indy 500 is going to be such a massive push for them. I, I know, you know, there's, there's there's no point, you know, highlighting the fact that a team is focusing on the 500 because obviously every team in the off season right. focuses a little bit on the main program and a lot on the Indy 500, right? Every team does it. But I think there's been... If, there's, if it's possible to have an extra effort, I think that's been there for Penske because I, I don't want to say last year was embarrassing. Obviously, it was difficult for the Chevrolet teams last year to, to make inroads, especially in the, in the race. You know, passing's difficult and stuff like that. You know, we don't want to get too much into that. But I just think Joseph effectively finished fifth and where Scott finished just gave him the extra points that, you know, you could, you could chalk that down to Scott winning the championship from the 500. So I think Joseph knows that last season was you know, almost perfect from a driving point of view for him. And if he'd have done a little bit better in the 500, sounds stupid, you know, because fifth isn't a bad result in the Indy 500, yeah, is it? Right. No, but, if, yeah. but if it was a couple of places higher, he might have won the championship. Joseph at Indy is an interesting, you know, sort of dynamic all by itself. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, between obviously him and Will and, and Simon, the one of them that, that hasn't, hasn't won it and, and hasn't really been... You know, it's been a been a few years. It's been since he was at ECR, really, that he was like really in the mix for a win. Um, and he's really good there. I mean, it's not because he's it's not because there's anything missing. Um, so I think that that'll be interesting to see this year. I know that he's he's personally, you know, spent spent a lot of time and and uh, you know just sort of effort and you know it fills a little bit of brain space i think just uh thinking about indy and and what they what he what he and gavin really need to do to extract you know the maximum out of there to to add one to the captain's list so um you know a lot of you know and a lot of what we're talking about as we're talking about it, even just between these top teams we'll get to andretti in a second 
um, you know, a little bit of it does come down to Chevy and Honda and where the two of those, where the two manufacturers um, stack up, you know, and that's, that's certainly something that we'll see. We don't know a lot about, we never know a lot about it in preseason testing, you know, certainly compared to formula one or, or other championships, it's so close between the two of them. I mean, where you're picking, you're splitting hairs, um, you know, talking about the differences, but they still man, you know, even the rules have been the same for a long time now, they still manage to, as you know, independently, they still manage to make gains every year and find little things that, make their package a little bit better. So, you know, as you talk about focusing on the 500, um, you know, that's certainly in the manufacturer's mind there as well. For me, the, you know, the other massive kind of storyline from the Indy 500 using that as a bit of a bounce off point, considering we kind of arrived there accidentally is was Alexander Rossi and how his 500 played out. And, and that's a good chance for us to kind of move on to Andretti and, and talk about them a little bit as well, because I think Alexander had such a tough start to the season last year. There's there's no doubt about that. It was really difficult. There was a lot of bad luck there and a, a lot of things out of his control that, that really, you know, upset the season. But for me, the 500 was such a disappointment from, from Alexander's point of view in terms of, you know, the the kind of unsafe release penalty coming off pit lane with, with Takuma. Obviously, at that point, he was neck and neck with Takuma and Takuma won the race. So at that point, you've got to say, you know, he was a contender for, for the race win as well and, you know, ended up crashing after the, after the penalty. And then, you know, the sec- and then kind of after that, he went on a bit of a run, really, after Gateway was out of the way, didn't he? So I kind of really interested and kind of intrigued about the prospect of, of Rossi this year. There's been a lot of talk about him ba- bouncing back and, you know, all this focus on, on rebounding and having a, a much more consistent season. Do you think he can find the form that, that he had in, in previous years and, and kind of rekindle that coming into, ne- into this season? I mean, I think for sure that he can. Um, you know, you're right. Last year was, and it was interesting. I was, I was actually... I was right behind him when he crashed in uh, in the race last year, and and it did just seem like he was he was pushing, you know, like he was he was trying to, you know, a little bit of impatience. Even I would say that that you don't frequently see from from guys in his position, and just from him personally, you know, it's not really his mo um, to be driving the car like that. You know, driving kind of seemed like he was driving sort of angry. I don't know if that's the particular, he's, he, he's not a particularly emotional guy, you know, but when you get, sometimes when the visor goes down and you're in those kinds of situations and you're, you know, you're really just determined to get back to the front uh, when you know, you've got a car that can compete up there when you know that you've, you know, been there and, and you're just, you're hustling to get back. Um, it was interesting just to see, I was like preparing myself for there to be an accident in front of me at that point. Um, and so I think that, you know, he's, I, he's a, he's a very, um, you know, resilient guy, mentally resilient. Um, you know, he's, I know he's been just from seeing his Instagram, you can tell he's been putting the time in, um, like everybody does at this point, but definitely, you know, motivated in the off season. And you got to think Andretti, they certainly got some things figured out towards the end of the season last year. There's no doubt about that, but, um, you got to figure they're coming back, even just the decisions they've made from a driver lineup perspective, keeping it a little bit tighter to say that they're downsizing to four cars and that that's like a small team is sort of a crazy, you know, crazy statement to be making, but it's true. They're back to, you know, they're back to having four, you know, kind of class a um, competitors on the squad, you know, and they've been a very dangerous outfit, you know, when they've, when they've had that in the past. So I think, Alexander certainly is going to be the one to, you know, that we'll be looking to looking toward to see lead that charge. I think Colton's going to be right there. 
Um, you know, and there's going to be times when he's better for sure. It'll be interesting to me. It's going to be interesting just to see how is where, how does that dynamic play out? You know, like where are they, where are those two guys going to stack up against each other weekend to weekend? Because there were definitely some times last year, you know, and, and as obviously as a group, they weren't quite at their peak, but where Colton was for sure, the guy, you know, the quickest guy, you know, throughout a weekend. And, um, you know, now Alex has had some time to kind of understand that, you know, Hunter Ray in the same position, Hinch coming in, um, you know, a little, you know, I guess a little more probably clear headed just about what's going on. Um, you know, he's, he's got his own thing to focus on and, um, has through, shown throughout his career that he can show up and be fast in a good car. So I expect them all to be working together and, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think you, you got to look at Colton and Alex as being the two guys that are going to really lead the championship charge. And, um, and, and, you know, when it comes to the 500, obviously Alex, Alex has shown that he's got what it takes to be right there. Hunter Ray has done it before. There's no doubt about that. Hinch knows what he's looking for, but again, Colton, like, man, you know, it's just going to be super interesting to see where he, he hasn't really had a good one yet. You know, like he's he's the guy to me that could come out of nowhere and win the 500 this year. I think um, Colton's such a good point you you raise, and and that dynamic is, as you said, going to be so interesting because Colton was so good through that first half of of last year. And you know, the thing with his kind of rookie breakout season was he was spectacular and fantastic and, and won the races, but didn't match that with the consistency that he needed that is going to make you a, an IndyCar champion. And last year he almost went the other way. You know, it was a it was a struggle for wins and and for top results. But, you know, the consistency came much easier. And I just think if he can marry those two together, he's going to be a really tough prospect. And, you know, we saw with kind of Alexander through the first half of last season, you know, he's, he's almost, I think, at risk this season of, of kind of, you know, not being the team leader because Rossi, since he basically came in and won the 500, has been the face of Andretti and the guy that, you know, is going to be the, the leader of the team. And last season just felt like there was a little bit of a turning point where, Colton's added the things that he didn't have that were that in such a good rookie year, really, um, and, and just became so competitive last season and really carried that team through the first half of the year when, when they struggled so much. So, yeah, you know, definitely that's a, a perfect point to raise. I think we've discussed the, the kind of Penske dynamic and them having a, a tricky season last year. Obviously, Ganassi did fantastic, but there's so much change there, you know, for, for next season. And then with Andretti, it's going to be so interesting to see how those championship winning potentially guys uh, are really going to take the fight to, to Penske and Ganassi next year. So I think that's another really interesting topic as well. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, just to, one last point about Colton and, and Alex and any of those guys is, you know, it's Colton's a very different in, in my, from my point of view, a different kind of driver to be around, you know, just being, you know, as a teammate or just being around him in the paddock, even, um, you know, he's very loose and, and just kind of like in his own, in his own world, kind of, you know, he's just observing what's going on around him and he's pretty low key and he can, obviously he's got that fire in the car, you know, no question, but, um, there's almost a part of, I, I could imagine, and I'm not, not at all trying to put myself in Alex's shoes or, or kind of imagining what that dynamic would like, but for myself, I could see it almost being frustrating. Like he's like sneaky fast, kind of, you know, like he's just doesn't seem like he's working super hard at it. He's not like spending three hours in the gym every day. I don't think uh, he's just got kind of like that natural, 
talent, ability, um, understanding of the car. Uh, he's very just aligned. You know, you can tell when you're around him, just kind of mind, body, machine. It all, it, it's it's what he does and how it all goes together. So, um, you know, it's it's why he's a young American guy that like should get a shot at F1, I think, you know? Um, but as we as we think about it in the IndyCar context, um, just the, the kind of personality dynamic that exists between, you know, when, when I think about Colton and Hinch, I see those guys getting along really well, you know, like if one of them's faster than the other one, they're probably happy for each other, you know, that kind of a thing between Colton and Alex, it's not quite the same. And so, um, it, it's just that, that dynamic, that personality dynamic over the course of the season is going to be an interesting one for me to watch. I think. I think it's, I guess it's, um, you know, how that fierce competition manifests, isn't it? And, and with, Alexander, it's much more open and kind of fierce, isn't it? In 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 an outward <laughs> sense, like you you know yeah. you know he wants to win a hundred percent. And there's other guys that are a bit more fun and kind of a bit more laid back. And you know you know they're the same underneath. You guys are all built the same, but it's how it manifests, isn't it? And I think that affects relationships and how they kind of meld together. And that's kind of what you've described with with those four drivers, isn't it? Or those three drivers that you referred to. So yeah, that is that is an interesting dynamic there for sure. I mean, I think the other the other big talking point that um, you know is is sort of always there, always there in the IndyCar series. But you know, this year is going to be particularly interesting. Is just talking about the rookie class. You know, it's uh, it's one of the older rookie classes that we've seen. You know, kind of anywhere across the sport in a long time. But maybe one of the most interesting. You know, we've got Romain Grosjean coming in from uh, from Formula One. Um, you know, right now looking like he's just going to be doing the road courses. So Scott McLaughlin at at Penske, you know, the only guy that's full-time, full-time among these three that we'll talk about, but then Jimmy Johnson, um, coming in, you know, obviously seven time champ from NASCAR, a completely different sort of background. And, and honestly, just a totally different story from anything we've seen, you know, in open wheel period in a long time. So, um, I'm, I know I'm super excited just to see how these guys start to perform and they come from such different backgrounds, such interesting backgrounds, all three of them. Um, interested what, you know, what your thoughts are about those guys. Yeah, I guess, should we start with Roman? Cause I guess he's kind of the overarching kind of almost, almost kind of most interesting because we, we you know, we totally don't know how he's going to get on. Like we, we just don't know because, you know, Marcus Ericsson's such a talented driver, you know, really, really expected him to come in and be fighting for wins immediately. And obviously that was a, a difficult first season for him in, in, you know, just trying to be competitive and trying to learn the series and learn the rules and just kind of deal with the caution flags and the strategy and all that kind of stuff. As much as driving the most unpredictable car, he's probably driven for, for a long time since since GP2. Um, arguably the IndyCar would be more unpredictable than, a GP2, unpredictable than a GP2 car. But yeah, I guess, you know, I think the interesting thing for, for Roman is going to be how quickly he adapts and you know, how he expedites that learning process and how quickly he can get up to speed. It's going to be so interesting to see. And I think coming from Formula One, you know, Roman has this reputation of crashing into people and being a bit sort of over-aggressive. And, you know, there has been elements of that in, in his career. But, you know, I think the one thing that you could say about Roman is he's just so ultra-motivated to do well. And quite a lot of those crashes come because he's pushing too hard. And, you know, that is a you know, a negative attribute in itself. But I think it's worth pointing out that, 
you know, he doesn't crash because he's not talented or because he's stupid. He crashes because he's pushing hard and he's trying to take it to the edge. And especially with Haas in the last couple of years, that's been a really difficult car to drive. And, you know, he's been trying to, you know, fight for his for his Formula One career in, in, in many aspects for, for quite a few years now. So, you know, I think there's this kind of, I don't want to say fire in him because that's a, probably the wrong word to use with Roman right now. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, there's this, there's this just underlying determination that he has that that really just kind of sets him aside a little bit from from some of the drivers, I think. And I'm I'm so excited to see how he gets on in, in IndyCar. And I guess the one of the big things is going to be how he adapts at Dale Coyne and and how they work because I know Roman is going to do so well in the environment that Dale Coyne has in the sense of it's fairly laid back. It's a really small team. You know, he, he's not going to have to speak to seven people to get a change on the car. You know, it's going to be a really tight knit group of guys there. Yeah. Um, it's going to be burning the midnight oil. It's going to be, you know, one o'clock in the morning in the garage, getting the car ready kind of thing, which he's definitely not going to be used to in the sense of the car being prepared at the shop, working that late and stuff like that. You know, these guys are so, so motivated at Dale Coyne and, you know, we know they don't have the resource of a Penske and an Andretti and a Ganassi. And that's one of the things that makes the IndyCar series so difficult is the cars are the same chassis and fundamentally everyone's got the same thing. But when you're competing against four Andretti cars, four Penske cars, four Ganassi cars, that's 12 cars you've got to beat on a weekend before you've even turned up with, with your machinery. And even if you're a little bit off, then you're going to be way off. So, you know, what these guys can do with a small budget in IndyCar really amazes me because if you look at the time difference in some of the races last year just going through the going through the field it was it was pretty incredible so yeah I know you've driven for some smaller teams in in your career and you've got a good idea of the the kind of benefits and and sort of negative aspects of of that but he's really going to enjoy that kind of close-knit atmosphere I think knowing Roman and he's really going to enjoy getting back to basics we saw him clean the car down a little bit after his testing crash on, on the first day of testing, you know, that kind of thing that really endears you to your team and really kind of welds people together. So that that's going to be the most interesting aspect for me. I think we know Roman's quick, but it's going to be how he adapts with that team, how they drive that team forward. And also how quickly he just gets up to speed with general racing in IndyCar because it's so different to what he's used to. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I mean, I agree with everything that you said, um, you know, and I think, for him this year, you know, uh, one of the big things that's going to be important is just his relationship with Olivier, you know, on the timing stand, his engineer, um, who's run some really fast cars in the past. And I think, you know, has by all accounts been a great guy to work with for a lot of different drivers. Um, you know, so I think that if he and if, if, you know, Roman and, and Olivier can really get things rolling and get on the same page and, and kind of understand each other quickly in terms of what they're looking, what he's looking for in the car and, and kind of what Olivier knows the car to, to like, um, you know, they can definitely, they can definitely compete. And, and from there, like you said, there's, you know, there's a bunch of things that are going to be new for, for Roman and the, you know, when I think about it, it's kind of like, even just little things like getting used to the fact that you're starting on cold tires every time you go out of the pits, you know, um, there's little things like that, that they take a little bit of time just to kind of reorient yourself around like, okay, how am I getting the max out of the car and qualifying here? You know, when I've, when now I'm kind of responsible for generating the tire temp and understanding, you know, what the lap is and, it's different on one street course and a different and you know, at an, and another street course, you know, there's, there's a lot more, I feel like there's, there's definitely just greater variability in, in kind of the procedure of how you extract the maximum out of the car, that it's more reactive 
in IndyCar, I think, than it is in Formula One. You know, or it appears that way, at least. You know, watching F1, it seems like there's a very prescribed method to how you do a lot of these things. You know, whereas in IndyCar, it's kind of like, all right, you didn't quite get the most out of it that last lap. We'll just go again now. You know, like there's no, there's no cool off. There's no none of this. You know, it's it's a very different whole set of circumstances. I'm super interested to talk to him you know, throughout the year. And, and this pod's going to be a great opportunity to do it just to kind of understand what his experience is, is like as he gets used to some of those things and what he's finding to be, you know, challenging, um, you know, learning a little bit about the differences, like you've said, that just the intra-team dynamics um, between Formula One and, and here. Um, so I think that's, it's going to be among the more interesting storylines to see. And, and I, I mean, I personally expect him I expect him to be, you know, competing for podiums for sure this year um, at points. I mean, I guess my expectation is probably not that he's um, consistently a top five guy um, just because I, I'm not sure I'd expect anybody in that car to consistently be a top five guy. But um, I, I think he's got I think he's got all the tools just from watching him in F1. Um, you have to appreciate the fact that he's, you know, it's been a long time since he's really been in a, in a competitive car. And even when, you know, when he was at Renault, when he was, you know, in some of the situations where the car was more competitive, um, you saw a degree of talent that is, I would think, like, certainly sufficient to be uh, making a statement here in the IndyCar series. And, you know, as you've said, there have been some guys that have come over from F1, uh, Marcus being the most recent who's stuck around. Um, and you see that it's harder than it seems like it should be, you know, so there's no doubt that, you know, I'm not going to be disappointed if, um, you know, it takes them a little while to figure some things out. But, um, you know, I think it's, it'll be one of the most interesting things to see. And, and I just love his attitude, you know, like when you've, I've paid more attention just over the last, probably over the last year, you know, as, as you kind of start to wonder, you know, what's going to happen in his career, certainly. And, um, you know, after, after his accident and, and just the transition coming over, he seems like he's bringing a lot of positivity and, and just passion for the sport. I think that's, you know, when we talk about this whole rookie class, that to me, that to me is the thing that really stands out is you've got a bunch of guys that they just want to race you know, and that IndyCar is a good place to do that. And that's why they're here. And, um, that's a really, that's a really cool thing just to see as, you know, driver to driver or, or even for fans is to see, to see a little bit of the fan come out in these guys in terms of how they decide what they're going to do. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see his sort of, uh, the way he's, you know, taken on IndyCar and it's within his interests to, to push the championship and obviously to, to appear excited about it, isn't it? You know, that's part of the, part of the package, but he, he does appear genuinely really excited to just get going, which is, which is really nice to see in a driver. And I think just a new challenge, you know, you saw the same thing from Kevin, you know, jumping over to the IMSA deal that he's like, you know what, look, man, like I get to go compete for race wins here. Yeah. You know, it's been a long time. And, and it's funny, like, as I can certainly say as a driver, like, man, like standing on the box is just whatever you're in. You can do it like a charity go-kart race and it feels good, you know? So um, I think that when it's been a little, when you've been in a situation like those guys have been where there's just, it's not even in the conversation weekend to weekend, you know? Um, it's a it's a really motivating like change of pace to to uh, to switch gears. I think it's worth pointing out as well. You mentioned uh, Olivier, Olivier Basson, who's um, Raymond Grosjean's engineer at Dale Coyne. We spoke to him 
on the race. Uh, you can check that out at www.the-race.com. Nice little plug there. <laughs> um, we spoke to him after Roman's first test to kind of get a rundown of how the first day went and how Roman was uh, adapting. And also you were talking about the kind of adaptation from Formula One. And we, we spoke to quite a few people about that last year and, and did a feature on that on the race that you can also check out where we spoke to Andrew Jarvis, who's Lando Norris's former engineer who moved over to Arrow McLaren SP last season. So a real kind of nuts and bolts, what it's like to, to move from, from Formula One to IndyCar. And it's, it's a really interesting story, apart from the fact that I've written it. That, that kind of, you know, goes into some of the the real intricacies of what the differences are when you switch over, because we know the cars are different and the teams are smaller, but what does that actually mean on a, you know, on a ground basis? Because the cars are still going around in circles and there's still a group of people in the pit. So how does it all work? So you can check that out. But, you know, I think moving on from Roman now and just picking up, uh, you know, I made a little joke about Jimmy before about how he could have just retired and put his feet up. Obviously, he's not that kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy to put his feet up full stop, is he really? He's always out on his bike or doing some crazy Ironman thing or something. But it's just so cool to see him come over and do IndyCar, not just from the point of the fact that he's a seven-time NASCAR champion and he is, you know, the biggest person that you could possibly move over from NASCAR right now, probably apart from Dale Earnhardt Jr. is not realistically going to do it. So, you know, he's pretty, pretty much the biggest person you could have taken to IndyCar from NASCAR which is great for just bridging those kind of two separate fan bases that don't really necessarily always pay attention to each other and sometimes are a bit disconnected. So that's a fantastic point. But just the, the, the fact that he's actually doing this, like he's spent his winter in like Formula Regional cars and Formula 3 cars getting mm-hmm. used to single seaters that he's not driven before because he came from stadium super trucks when, you know, before he went into NASCAR. So this guy's got no single seater experience. You know, he's well into his 40s now. He's a seven-time NASCAR champion and he wakes up in the morning and he thinks, I'm not going to retire with, you know, with all my achievements and, and my legacy as a NASCAR driver just, just there for, for everyone to see. I'm going to go over and try the most competitive, you know, open-wheel championship that, that there is outside of Formula 1, arguably. And, you know, a lot of people argue that IndyCar is the most, you know, competitive championship out there. So, you know, what, what's your kind of... I know you're excited about this storyline and, and how this has all played out. You know, what are you expecting to see from Jimmy this year? Because I think we have to we do have to remember all of that when we temper our expectations to how he's going to get on because it's maybe a little bit different for Scott McLaughlin who's a little bit younger and you know has had a lot more testing than, than Jimmy's managed to, to get in and obviously has done a race weekend before this season. So he's, you know, I think we have to judge him a little bit differently. I think Jimmy has to be given a little bit more slack when we, when we look at his results. But, you know, what you kind of expect then, it looks like he's down to about a second lap off the, off the other Ganassi guys now, which I think is not a, not a bad achievement really given how little testing he's had. From my perspective, just the fact that he's here doing this says everything that you need to know. Like, not only, yeah, not not just that he doesn't need to do this, but that he's chosen to do this among like all the other things that he could have gone and done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, he's like, nope, I'm going to like arguably the most competitive and most different thing at a high level that like I could possibly do. Um, and I, oh, and by the way, I'm just doing the road courses, <laughs> which is a whole nother topic. Like I want to see him on an oval and like, I hope we, I hope we do. I hope we get to, um, we need to like come up with some kind of bargaining fund for his wife, I think, um, to, to make that happen. But Look, I, you know, Jimmy, I've, I've gotten to know Jimmy over the years and um, along with, frankly, a number of the other NASCAR drivers. Um, and what I just what I love about this is it just unequivocally shows that these guys are racers. You know, we've gotten into this like period in motorsports where 
you know, I, you know, I mean, I, I came up during a time where I was told to be, to basically be a specialist, you know, like that you need to specialize in something to like get to the top. Um, like this idea that you kind of bounce around and, 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 and that, uh, you know, there was some wisdom in that, just in, in the idea that you need to be focused. There's no question about that. Um, you need to, you know, as a young driver coming up, you need to kind of understand where you're channeling your energy and sponsorship and, and all that kind of stuff to make it uh, certainly an open wheel in the U S you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, um, things were m much less straightened out kind of than they are now. Um, but I think that's just been the case across the board. And, and as professionals, there's so much of this, there, there's such a commercialized kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, just structure to the sport these days. You know, the driver is, you know, arguably become kind of an, you know, an asset in this chain of sponsorship and dollars and, and all this kind of stuff within the teams. And so, you know, to me, you, you lose sight of the fact that there's IndyCar guys that are texting NASCAR guys every weekend after their races. And, you know, when you walk around a Formula One paddock, you know, it's like Jeff Gordon that's getting some sometimes the most like recognition, you know, if, if, if he's there, um, you know, he's the guy that, uh, you know, Lewis or, or Daniel wants to go chat with for a minute, you know? Um, and so it's, uh, it's just cool to really see that kind of attitude and mentality and, and just racers point of view, like manifested in this, in this thing that Jimmy's doing. Um, obviously, you know, this is not the only thing he's doing. He's going to do. He's, he's going to done the 24 hour. He's done Sebring. Um, I know that he's got, you know, he's got sort of a list of list of events that he wants to check off, but this is not just like a bucket list thing. This is like, I'm going to go take this really seriously. Like I, this is, this is a little bit of, you know, I wish I had done this earlier in my career kind of thing. Um, and so I'm just so amped that he's just doing it. You know, there's as you know, in the in the traditional sense of it, you know, there's so many kind of r perceived risks that he's taking by doing something like this. And he's just saying, screw it. Like, I don't I don't care. Like, I want to do this. Um, this is kind of like what's inside me. This is my desire in the sport. I don't know how competitive he's going to be. You know, um, he's going to bring his that Jimmy Johnson, you know, it's like a kind of Tom Brady level, you know, um, commitment and determination, you know, mental strength and physical prep and all that stuff to it. So I have no doubt that he'll show up and, you know, be in the mix at the end of certainly by the end of events, um, you know, he's still going to be there. And uh, I think he'll get he'll get closer and closer and he'll continue to learn. And, you know, I know he's been he's been picking Scott's brain. Um, you know, throughout the off season. So it's really hard to put kind of a, a performance figure on it, but you know, to me, it's, it's just about more than that. And uh, that's what, that's what gets me excited to see him at the track. It feels like um, the, the perfect opportunity for IndyCar as well. I mean, IndyCar hasn't engineered this move, you know, it's obviously something Jimmy wanted to do and something that he was interested in doing, but it seems it comes at a time where, and you'll be able to talk a lot more about this because, you know, you're, you're on the ground in the States and, and have been for a long time and, you know, kind of know that 
split between NASCAR and IndyCar fans, but it seems like it's coming at the perfect time. Like we had the, the Xfinity guys race with, with IndyCar last year on the Indianapolis road course. And we're going to get that later this year as well. And we get the, the cup guys on the road course as well at Indianapolis, which can be mad and seems like it's just like a dangled carrot to try and get a few of the guys to swap over and do, uh, do both races or at least do the Xfinity race and stuff. So that's going to be really interesting to see, but how big do you think Jimmy's move is going to be for, American motorsports in general, really, but just kind of marrying those fan bases and, and just kind of geeing things up a little bit. I, I'm not really sure, to be totally honest with you. I think that, you know, it's it's funny that even even when you have these kind of joint events, it's like, well, they're all they're still on separate TV networks. They're still, you know, in terms of how most people are engaging with them. Um, the thing that's made the biggest difference, I think, just over the last like 10 years is that you've got social media now in a way that you see more of this kind of cross promotional and, and I mean, promotional even, but just the fact that Jimmy brings his fan base uniquely to this without them having to follow it on, on TV, um, I think is an interesting, you know, part of the equation. Roger certainly is hip to all of this. You know, he's, but he's talked, um, about more joint events and that kind of thing. Once we can fill, you know, fill tracks full of people again, that I think will definitely have an impact last year. It was, I think less so in the big scheme of things, just because you don't have people there on the ground, right. Um, to really experience both of them together. But, you know, to me, it's a, you know, look, what, what Jimmy's doing is something that, you know, I got a phone call from Kurt Bush about it, you know, when it got announced, um, you know, there's Kyle, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott. These are all guys that I would love to see in a, in an Indy car, even just for a test day. Like if I'm an Indy car team owner, like, I'm just sticking one of those guys in the car just for the hell of it. You know, next time we're out at, you know, we're out at, uh, you know, Laguna or Barber or whatever doing a day, um, Sebring even on the short course. Um, and that to your point, I think there's some IndyCar guys that would love to do the Xfinity race, you know, and some things like that. So just the, the more, the more of that actual, you know, behavioral change, you know, that starts to exist. I think that's the thing to me that really has the power to, you know, cross these audiences together a little bit more. And, 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 and that's what, that's why I said, you know, what Jimmy's doing here is the power in it is just to see that, like, this is really where this guy's head has been at probably for a long time you know, in terms of how much he pays attention to other forms of motorsport and how much desire he has to participate in them. So, um, you know, I, I think that this, this has the, the potential to set off a little bit of a, a more of a reaction of that kind of thing happening. I think, um, you know, you mentioned test days there and it's just, it's bonkers to me. We don't see more of the, the crossovers just in tests and things like that, because, you know, I can reel off two or three immediately come to mind now, but there was obviously Tony Stewart and Lewis Hamilton swapping. There was Jimmy and Fernando swapping. You know, there was, if you go back to Juan Pablo and, and Jeff Gordon swapping at Indianapolis, which was like my dream, basically. <laughs> um, you know, the, these kind of crossovers, even one day events, and you had you had a horse with a, with a NASCAR and the, the sprint car a couple of years ago as well. Didn't it? Was it a sprint car? I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. But you get those 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 crossovers, um, and they're just, they just generate so much interest and just people think they're so cool. And then no one ever does them again. And you get like one every two or three years. It's crazy. Well, and that's where I'm like, let's like take this, like, let's take this a little, just a tiny bit more seriously, Yeah. you know, like stick Chase Elliott in a, in a car for a full day at Sebring. Like, like, let's really see where he's at and let, let him see where he's at. You know, let's like take this a little bit more seriously. Uh, just, just by a little bit. I mean, I think even just the, the swap when, uh, Jeff and Juan Pablo did it 
back in the day. I remember, I mean, it was the first time that that had happened, I guess, like in the kind of modern era. But I remember how seriously Jeff Gordon clearly took that, you know, and and there was like uh, some real buzz after that went down of kind of like, okay, is this going to, I mean, obviously Juan Pablo ended up switching to NASCAR, um, you know, but there was some real discussion. Like it felt like, it felt like it mattered. Like it wasn't just a stunt, you know? And so I think that that, that to me is, um, you know, that's the difference. And, and I don't think it's that hard to get over that hump. You know, the, the NASCAR schedule is totally crazy. So, you know, those guys are, are, they're a little bit limited in terms of what else they can do. I know that, you know, that was a big part of Jimmy's hesitation in taking on more than just running NASCAR over the last few years. But, um, man, it's just, it, it definitely, as just as a, like, as a fan, it gets you excited, you know, that there could be more of this kind of stuff going on. And when you see people take it seriously, like Jeff did, that that really shows you that they they want to be there and they want to do it. You know, it's not it's not PR, it's not promotional. These guys actually want to do this kind of thing. And Jeff was was phenomenal on that day in in, in the car. And you speak to anyone who was on the team at the time, they'll tell you that they were really genuinely impressed by how good he was in that car, considering he was a stock car driver at that time. So, yeah, interesting actually. Jeff, you know, could have ended up in Europe and going down that single seater route. And remember speaking to Andy Graves, who's in charge of Toyota's NASCAR program last year. And he was recounting living with, with Jeff back in the day before he was in the cup series and remembered picking up the phone and it was Jackie Stewart trying to uh, speak to Jeff before he'd signed for Hendrick, trying to persuade him into uh, moving over to Europe. So that could have been a, a very different uh, career path for, for Jeff. But anyway, we digress. I think um, we've covered pretty much everyone there, apart from Scott, who we spoke about a little bit earlier, Scott McLaughlin. Um, I think the only other thing to add on him really is just been fantastic to see how he's kind of like taken America under his wing and his, you know, this, this Scotty does America hashtag has really like taken over, hasn't it? It's been really interesting. And it's interesting. I think now I'm really, I personally am really interested in the whole Twitch thing and how that is going to evolve in the future because it's, it's, it's literally a direct camera into these guys' front room, right? Yeah. So we're talking about fan access to drivers. Twitch is is phenomenal. And you might not be interested in esports. You might not like watching the races. But Scott's Twitch has exploded. And I'm sure some of that is because of the work he's done in promoting himself on social media and, and the the kind of, you know, interesting persona he's presented himself in, in the States since he's moved over. And, you know, it's fantastic to see. And obviously his wife's American and he's, you know, he spent some time in America before, I think, you know, at least on holidays and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's been just really cool to see him take that under his wing and really kind of, um, you know, make it home. And I think that's really going to work to the benefit of him, you know, with the team and, and and with the guys there as well. Yeah, for sure. No, I think I think he'll, I, it seems like he's already adapting well to everything. He seems like a, a pretty, uh, I don't know, just he's not easy going is the wrong word, but like, you know, adaptable guy, just generally, you know, seems like he kind of can fit into some various, various scenarios. And, uh, you know, he's young, and he's, he's ready to rip, man. I mean, I I just don't, I don't see it any other way. I think he's definitely gonna, he's gonna be there this year, without question. You know, he's my pick for rookie of the year, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to continue to follow him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got sort of, a he's got a fun, kind of a fun loving spirit about him, too. So it'll be, it'll be cool to see, you know, (laughs) And frankly, between like Pagano and Will, like those people are kind of weird dudes, you know, <laughs> like if we're being told, you know, great guys, but kind of their own, their own, they all have their own like idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, Joseph's, Joseph's super funny and, 
you know, can be kind of a goof to be around. So that'll be a, it'll be a good crew, especially if those guys are having success, that'll be a really like fun group of guys to, to just kind of follow and, and see, you know, all of them a part of the Penske games, uh, you know, all over again and, and that kind of stuff. So for sure, looking forward to it and I think ex- expect Scott to be the one that, that really shines the quickest of, of these three guys that we've talked about. For sure. And I guess we'll see them all in action on April the 18th when the barber races. So they're all taking part in that one. Obviously, um, Scott's running the whole year and, and the other two are running road course schedules. So it's good that we'll get to see them for two races to, to get a good grasp of, you know, how they're getting on and how they're finding IndyCar after those two races. Hopefully we'll speak to some of them after that as well. But if we move on to Barber and talk a little bit about that, I think um, Dixon's three race wins at the start of last year was just so massive for his title push and, you know, as we saw, I don't think he lost the championship all the way through the year. He was at the top all, all the way through. And those first three races, he's never won three races to start a season before. And we know how long Scott Dixon's career has been. So that was obviously a big achievement and really, um, you know, set him off well. But this track, Barber, has been a Honda stronghold in the past. And Takuma Sato was the last winner. I think we've not mentioned Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. And they're obviously the only other team that won a race last year with, with Takuma at the Indy 500, which I suppose if you're going to pick one race to win, that's the one to win. Definitely. But Bob... Barber didn't take place last year, obviously, because of the pandemic and where it sat in the calendar right at the start of the year, as it does now. So how much are we expecting the kind of aero screen to, to mix things up? And, you know, you got a bit of a taste of that from, from one 500 to the next of, of the impact of the aero screen. And obviously it's going to be massively different on a super speedway than it is at somewhere like Barber. But, you know, we've seen how much understeer it induces and, you know, how much it's messed up the, the setups these guys have spent years creating. So what are you expecting from, from Barber? Are you expecting a kind of similar order to what we saw in 2019 and how is testing there going to impact things? Is everyone going to be basically sorted by the time we get to Barber because we've had so much testing there now, or is it still going to be a bit of a mix up? Do you think? I think it'll be similar to what we've seen in the past. Um, you know, you see guys, I think Taku is, has typically been fast there, but you know, you, you really look at you know, Dixon and, and to me, Newgarden as the two guys to, are consistently really good that makes a change <laughs> yeah well right i know it's just it's not I, I just don't i don't see that changing and i think at, at barber it's one of those places that you know scott i think is really good there um because it, you know his driving style it's the type of place that really suits the way he drives the car and um you know the more that you can kind of overcome the you know, differences in, in just the weight distribution with the aero screen and that kind of stuff. It, it has added certainly some understeer just to the general like handling characteristic of the car. But, um, you know, Barber has always been the kind of place that, you know, if you can manage to deal with the car, even if it's, even if it's not for outright pace, but throughout the course of the event, if you can manage to deal with the car being a little uncomfortable to drive there, it's just definitely faster. And the place like will kind of eat tires it's the only track that we go to that no matter what, like just the, the surface is such that straight out of the pits, like you're right on it, you know, coming from, you know, you go to a lot of tracks and it takes a couple laps to really feel like you can lean on the car heavily. You know, Barber is like the one place where you might have to kind of think about, um, you know, saving tires on an outlap or whatever during, you know, practice or qualifying, depending on the scenario, um, you know, that it just, it suits what Scott does well. Um, so, you know, my picks, my picks going there probably aren't, aren't different this year from what they would typically be. You know, it's, it's definitely Dixon to, to kind of have be, be the strongest. It'll be interesting to me to see if his teammates, if, you know, Palou maybe as an example where he stacks up, I think that's kind of a wild card going into the first race. 
and Will and Joseph, frankly, as the other two guys that have really had a, a, a strong handle on that place. It's kind of the one track I feel like that Andretti, you know, just has never been super strong consistently at. Um, doesn't mean that they couldn't compete. You know, like you mentioned, Taku, I think I, I would certainly consider him a guy in my top five around that place. And, you know, the only other team that we haven't talked about that I think has a chance to mix it up with these guys all season long, particularly if Chevy brings the heat is Aero McLaren, um, you know, Felix and Pato, both of those guys, you know, I, I could see both of those guys in the top five regularly, you know, over the course of the season, just a super strong young driver lineup. They've brought a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, they've got Craig Hampson there. So they've got some, you know, really strong, uh, you know, really strong foundation of IndyCar knowledge and, and speed. But then, you know, like you mentioned Jarvis and some of the guys that they've brought over from Europe. Um, it's a great package and just an overall really strong, really strong, um, team and kind of group there so um you know if i had to pick between the two of those guys it's really splitting hairs but but i'd say you know my top five probably going into barber this year are scott newgarden will um taku and then uh pick them between the two arrow mclaren guys with taku it's gonna be interesting because he missed the first day of testing that he was supposed to do because he was a bit ill so it's gonna be interesting to see if that impacts things i don't know he's he's had plenty of testing since so i'm sure he'll be up to speed by the time we get to bar but i don't know if that's going to impact you know how, him working with his new engineer matt greaser this year so we'll we'll see if that's something that impacts things i guess you know it's hard to bet against newgard and he won in 17 and 18 right so before taku he won the previous two races and you know, we already discussed at the top of the show how motivated he is coming into the season to to really right that wrong of, of last year. So I think he's a good pick. I think if I had to pick anyone, you know, kind of now um, off the top of my head, you know, Nugan would be a good shout. I think Hunter Ray was the last Andretti driver to win at Barber a few years back, 2014 maybe. So I think unlikely that they'll kind of steal in unless, you know, they've really found something in the off season. And honestly, you say that the, just to jump in for a second, Hinch has always been really good there. So, um, I mean, I remember in, I don't know, it was 12 or 13, he was off pole. I mean, he's, he's, his style, I think, you know, it's, it's not like a super, super aggressive, like late break. He, you know, he's not that he's a little bit of a smoother, more finessed, you know, driver from that perspective. It'd be interesting to see how he stacks, you know, how he kind of plays into the whole thing at Andretti. Yeah. I think the I think it'd be stupid to rule out those those four guys at Andretti. But you know, I think judging by the data we've got, I think there's other guys who we can pick out as favorites. I think um I think Newgarden would be that guy for me. Sorry to be a bit boring and choose the same uh, same person as you. I think uh, that's that's probably a bit disappointing. But yeah, we said you know how motivated he's been in the off season and, and stuff like that. That's going to be really interesting to see. Um, and yeah, Aaron McLaren SB is really interesting. You brought that up because we've not really kind of factored them in anywhere. And I guess it was because I kind of went through the really interesting storylines of last year and then the kind of race winners and stuff to, to cover those guys off. Which so we've covered all the race winners from last year, and obviously Aaron McLaren SP wasn't one of those, but. You know, really interesting off-season for them. I think it's going to be really, really, really cool to see how they utilise McLaren because obviously they've got that small team of guys back at, at McLaren's base in, in the UK who they can kind of use like a Formula 1 team in the sense of they've got like a live team back at base, um, you know, while the race is going on, while the race weekend's happening, which the other IndyCar teams don't tend to do and it's not really something that's normal. Yeah, That's an unusual approach to things that they've taken, but obviously it works in Formula 1 and there's a lot of very talented people at McLaren who who know what they're talking about. So I think the big thing last year was trying to work out, you know, basically redesigning how an IndyCar team works and utilizing all of that extra data. Like it's fine getting, you know, 500 pages worth of extra data over the course of a qualifying session, but you can't digest that in time live in the session, can you? So it's not just 
it's not just digesting that data, it's putting the right people in the right places to make sure that you're being as efficient as possible with that new system. So I think, you know, they've had a 12 months of that now under their belt, um, if you include obviously testing last year. So I'm really excited to see how they get on. I think it's kind of, it's really hard to judge, isn't it? Because obviously 2019, you wouldn't have considered them race winners or or really, you know, a front running team in, in the sense of if we can just look back at the results and, and you know, that that was obvious. But, you know, last year they were still using pretty much the same equipment, obviously a bit of development over the off season, but same cars and, and stuff like that. So, you know, if you look at that, what they actually managed to do last year with Pato was was pretty incredible. And adding Felix is really interesting. He's a he's a story in himself, isn't he? We could do a podcast on Felix because, you know, you, you speak to anyone in Europe and he's easily one of the highest rated guys outside of Formula One who didn't make it to Formula One. And, you know, he made such a big name for himself in Formula E, which is, I guess, in terms of like competitiveness, you could say is like the European equivalent or the world equivalent of IndyCar in, in a way. He was so good. He was so good there. And, you know, even coming up, some of the people he's beat in his career is, is, is really cool looking back through his CV, but he's just not really managed to put everything together in IndyCar yet. And the first season finishing sixth in championship, you would take that every day of the week, wouldn't you, as an IndyCar rookie? Yeah. But last year, just not really built on that and, and really struggled. So it's going to be interesting. He's like gone from being kind of Dixon's sidekick to to kind of leading that team now almost as a as just, if you're just looking at it as he's the older guy, he's kind of going in as the team leader, isn't he? It's, it seems weird saying he's the older guy when he's still so young, but you know what I mean? He's the the most experienced of the two. So yeah, that, that dynamic of how they work together and how that whole team moves forward, it might not work. It might work perfectly and they might be championship contenders. We, we really need to wait until we see the first race really to work out what's going to happen with them. But really good for you to bring those, those guys at Aaron McLaren SP up because I think they are, you know, something that we're going to be talking about all the way through the season for sure, how they're getting on because if they're good, then obviously we're going to be talking about them. And if they're bad, we're going to be talking about them because they're bad. So it's going to be really interesting to see. So yeah, looking forward to that one. I think for me, just as one final point on those guys is, you know, one of the things that I, I look at there and think, you know, this can definitely play a role in how competitive they are over the course of the season. And just kind of this dynamic of having two young guys, young guys in the car is um, I mentioned that Craig Hampson's there as, as the sort of technical director. And he is the kind of engineer that can like run the drivers to some degree, you know, like he, he really knows, like he is, he is one of the top, I would, I would rate him as one of the top three engineers, like all time in this era of, you know, open wheel racing, going back to champ car, you know, with Newman Haas, um, he was Hinch's engineer when he was winning races at Andretti. Um, you know, he was at coin for a period of time when, when they were hauling him and Michael Cannon. I mean, that like for a small team, having two of like the, having those two guys there was insane, you know? Um, and so I think that his presence, um, you know, at, with, with those two young guys, you know, assuming that they have, kind of the you know respect for him that that you know his sort of career within the sport has you know uh, deserves um you know he's the he's the type of you know even like at the 500 you know going out to qualify he's the kind of guy who's just going to be like hey we're trimming the thing out to this and you are going to send it you know like it's there's no there's no hesitation no questioning no none of that which i think for young guys can be a really good influence um, to just get with the program, you know, like don't overthink it, get out there, go do your thing. Uh, he reminds me, you know, Cannon listening to stories of Michael Cannon with AJ Allmendinger before he, when he was at Forsyth for that, like half a season or whatever. And he just went on a tear, like one, you know, one, three or four races in a row held off four days to the last event for the championship. Um, you know, same kind of thing, just like 
okay, you wrecked the car in that session. Now you're going to go stick it on the pole. This is what we're going to do, you know? Um, so I think that'll be an interesting, as you said, just a cool to see how those guys, you know, work together over the course of the year and, and kind of track their performance relative to everybody else. Cause you know, again, as, as another, you know, high quality Chevy team, um, you know, I think they, they have the potential to be in the mix weekend to weekend, you know? I love that they've gone with Craig as the R&D engineer as well and not a race engineer. I think that's a massive thing for, for me looking at it from the outside because he's like zoomed out above the the whole thing, right? And he's like, you need help, I'm here. You need help, I'm here. Like, it's, it's not like he's pigeonholed to working on one car. He's like on the R&D side of things, but also on a race weekend, if you're struggling, who better to have than Craig Hampson behind you? Exactly. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a way for him to kind of set the tone you know, that you just don't have when you're, you know, one of the race engineers. I totally agree. Yeah. Cool. So we've covered off most of the major teams and most of the major drivers there preseason, hopefully. So it's time to, well, we're in the white flag of the podcast I wrote down on the, on the piece of paper, which is (laughs) so lame. So, so lame. I don't know why I did that. Um, But yeah, I thought maybe something that's not going to be lame. I thought it'd be cool to introduce a regular segment to the podcast because we've got you, JR, because if anyone follows you on social media, which they should, what's your handle? Just JR Hildebrand altogether. There we go. If you follow JR on Twitter, you will know that he talks about and analyzes and discusses basically any form of motorsport championship out there. So you're a really cool person to have on the podcast because not just are you obviously a very successful driver in your own right, but know about things like MotoGP and IndyCar and Formula One and you know pretty much everything. So I thought it'd be cool to introduce this segment as a bit of a reflection of the race because obviously IndyCar is our, our main topic of conversation on the race in terms of American motorsport but we also do dip into things like NASCAR or, or short ovals if it's you know a particularly interesting story or if we're bringing you light to a, an engineer or some cool story from behind the scenes basically so I thought this would be a good thing to introduce the podcast and do let us know when you're listening back whether you whether you like this element but JR I'll kind of hand over to you is there anything you've kind of picked out this week that really uh you know, kind of fluttered your interest a little bit and and something that's really excited you? Mm, Well, um, I mean, this is always a fun week, I feel like in motorsports, just because, you know, we obviously just had the the F1 kickoff weekend, uh, MotoGP got started. um, You know, but I think uh, while those would normally be the the sort of headline things going on, um, you know, we just, we, we can't have this kind of segment without talking about the dirt race at Bristol. Um, it's just so insane that they actually, that they actually just did that in the first place to me is just like, (laughs) they did. If you're still wondering, they did actually do that. I know. And and like, just kudos to NASCAR for, to start with, like, I love the schedule that they've put out this year, more road courses, um, you know, mixing some things up at some tracks they've been at for a long time, adding this dirt event. Um, it was funny to me that I, I've, I've just been totally on board with this from the beginning. Like, Oh, this is going to be cool. Like to me, this is, this is the kind of thing that like, I need to see, I need from NASCAR. Like I need, I need some, I need that in an event that like, I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, like that's, that to me is, I mean, for any motorsport, I think that makes it more interesting when it's unpredictable, but, um, you know, something that's just totally out of left field. Like, I, you know, NASCAR to me is, it's like every weekend, those guys have sawzaws and duct tape and all this like crazy stuff getting ready for pit stops or, and this or that. Like, I want to see everybody using that, you know? 
Um, and so this to me was just such a cool, it's such a cool idea for one, just getting back to the kind of roots of where NASCAR came from. Um, there was obviously a lot of question marks in terms of how it would get executed. You know, would this become something that seemed, I, I think the big question from everybody was like, will this seem gimmicky or would this seem legit? You know, and, you know, there was obviously from the first from the first wheel that got turned in practice, it's like, you know, now I, I would have given NASCAR the suggestion just not to read the comments because for sure there was a ton of people. I, I mean, I thought it was great. It's funny, like the non NASCAR, you know, community that like I follow on Twitter and, and on Instagram or whatever else was very like, oh, this is rad. Um but then I kind of dug into like NASCAR Twitter a little bit and people are like losing their minds that this is like the dumbest thing ever. And, you know, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't have windshields and, you know, just all of this stuff like that the drivers were having trouble seeing. Well, that's because dirt cars, you know, don't have windshields and, you know, they should have known that and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the cars were overheating like, oh, well, you know, you know, arm our sort of armchair engineering this this whole situation. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it was for one, I, I will give a lot of folks within the NASCAR community credit for like Kenny Wallace. Uh, and I don't know if you follow him. I don't actually follow him. He just pops up on my timeline a lot. Like he had obviously had a few beverages and, you know, started like firing back at all of these people. Um, you know, and then for the you know, lap two, Kyle Busch, like overheating immediately was, was probably not the way that everybody wanted for the whole thing to start. But then, you know, once you got into the event, it was like, oh my God, this is actually just really badass. You know, like you got a bunch, you have no idea who's going to do a bunch of guys came out of nowhere, you know, Daniel Suarez, like crushing it for this whole race, not, you know, not expected at all. Right. But um, you just got to see a completely different side of the drivers, the teams, the sport, like all of that stuff. And it came across to me as being very genuine. You could tell that these guys, the beauty of it being a championship event. Um, and I, I, this is, you know, I always, you know, uh, am a proponent of this, that it's like, if you've got a weird idea or you've got something you think is going to be interesting, like make it matter you know, like just make it a championship race. Um, and they, they kind of had the attachments to go and do it. And, um, they obviously, there were some things I'm sure that they'll do differently, you know, the next time around to make it easier or better or, or, or cover some of their, you know, the potential downsides. Um, but as far as I was concerned, you know, everybody took it really seriously. That was apparent. The drivers really badly wanted to win. I mean, you could see it on Denny Hamlin's face in the post race. Like he was, he was like pissed that he, you know, that he didn't give himself a better chance to do it. And it was just, it was all on him. You're like, how it's, it, I feel like it's, it's pretty rare that you see that kind of just like deep frustration, you know, in yourself kind of as a driver, you know, that you feel still finish third, you know, and there was like 10 dudes that looked like that at the end of the race. So, um, man, I, I was just, it was, I mean, honestly for a, I, I don't I have no idea what the ratings were for a NASCAR race on a Monday. I have to imagine it was good. Um, and, uh, I just love to see it. it. It just felt, it felt so like, it just felt like such a breath of fresh air, you know, compared to what has become a, an otherwise like very precision oriented sport, you know, NAS NASCAR, but just generally, you know,
it's the perfect schedule for it because basically you've got a format where it, the guys need to win a race and then they're in the playoffs at the end of the year, right? So why not basically have a points counting all-star race on dirt? Because all these guys are getting turned on to dirt more and more every year. You see it in the off season with the chili bowls, stuff like that, you know, why not include it in the cup series if all these drivers are going out and doing it anyway? Why not make a big spectacle out of it? And I think it just reflects where NASCAR's at right now. I thought it was really, really good in the way it handled the whole situation last year with pushing for equality, you know, banning the Confederate flag and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, those kind of things will always be, you know, difficult to do when you've got a, you know, a conflicting view between, between people, you know, it's always going to be difficult to do. And when a championship steps in and bans something, you know, that's always going to be a big decision to make because you know you're going to you're going to pee people off. You know, I think so many of the things they did last year were, were awesome. And then they've kind of followed things up this year with freshening things up and, and keeping things interesting. And I think, you know, there's, there's so many chances for these guys to get into the playoffs over the course of a year. There's so many races that it does, like Formula One's moving towards it now. My colleague Scott Mitchell's written about this as, you know, Formula One risks losing its storyline if it continues to add races because you, your season becomes so long that you kind of you detract away from the product because you're you're just making it too long and it's too drawn out for people to follow whereas you know nascar's got the perfect format to introduce something like this because if you want a one-hit wonder something that's really going to grab people and, and make things interesting you know it's the perfect championship to do it because it doesn't matter if someone who's got you know someone from a dirt background wins the race because there's going to be you know, 30 odd other opportunities for the, for the guys who didn't win to get in another way. And they're never going to, at the end of the, at the end of the year, no driver is going to turn around and go, I didn't make the playoffs because of the Bristol dirt race, because A, it would be embarrassing and B, it's not true. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it, for me, it was just a, a total no brainer. And I think the only thing they could have done is run that event a few times before they put it in the cup series to get a better idea of what the track was going to do and the conditions. And that would be my only kind of suggestion to, to throw in the ring. But in, in actual fact, the kind of mess up of conditions that happened with the dust and like not really know what was going to happen with the track. That just made for me, that made, just made it more interesting. I mean, it must've been annoying for the drivers for sure. But, you know, as a fan watching on TV, it was like, Oh, this is happening. Oh, this is happening. Oh, and, and we didn't expect this is going to happen as well. And there was just so many sort of variables thrown into the mix, which was was just phenomenal. And to top it all off, the absolute cherry on the top, Joey Logano, who's basically never done any dirt racing until the start of this year, has rocked up and won. And do you know what? He called it. He was on a Penske Zoom call at the start of the year. They did a, t- a team preseason uh, address with the media. And he basically went through a whole load of reasons why he probably wouldn't win. And then at the end, he was like, of course I can win. I'm not going to turn up to any race and think that I'm not going to win the race. And he rocks up and does it. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. I, do you know what? I, 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 you should never just throw the negatives out the window because I think you can always learn from things and you can always, you know, the armchair, the armchair critics as negative as they can be. Sometimes there is something to learn from it. But for me, that just all played out phenomenally and I just really enjoyed every minute of it pretty much. So that was the first kind of segment that we're going to call JR's World, I think. I think we're going to call it JR's World. <laughs> I'm ready for it one way or the other, man. JR's World. I love that. I think it sounds, it's just perfect for your kind of your kind of diverse motorsport taste i think it's perfect and sadly that's the end of the podcast but it's been great to welcome you along with us for the first time give us a like on the computer thingy of course we mean a five star rating and leave your views on social media about how you found the races first indycar podcast we'd love to hear your suggestions for any stories you want jr and i to uncover over the course of the season so like subscribe message and carry a pigeon if that's what it takes 
We look forward to answering your questions throughout the season. We look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of the Races New IndyCar Podcast.